0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Solutions Watch. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and this week on the D program, we are going to tackle a very, very large problem indeed, namely the WHO takeover and what we can do about it. Now, if you are one of those people in the crowd who do not know that the WHO stands for the World Health Organization, let alone that they have a global takeover agenda in play at the moment then you have some catching up to do on the problem itself. And, well, since you are likely new to the Corporate Report audience, if you this is really your first time hearing about it, I would humbly suggest that you check out the Corporate Report archives on this topic. You will be able to find, well, various reports that I've done over the years on the World Health Organization in general, and over the past two years on this problem, specifically of the encroaching pandemic agreement slash international health regulation amendments. And, for example, might I direct your attention to episode 417 of the podcast on The Global Pandemic Treaty, What You Need to Know, episode 442 of the podcast on The Global Pandemic Treaty is a Threat to Us All, and episode 445 of the podcast on James Corbett Testifies at the National Citizens Inquiry, which I think are three of the most information-packed and hard-hitting of the reports that I put together, but... Then there's, of course, also the monthly, ongoing uh, series of conversations that I've been having with Meryl Nass over at Children's Health Defense on CHD TV, where month in and month out, we are covering the latest developments on this front. And of course, there are many, many other sources of information out there, non-Corbett Report besides, that could fill you in on this situation. What is the pandemic agreement? What are the international health regulations? How are they being amended? How is this proceeding? But as I say, this is Solutions Watch, not Problems Watch. So today we will take the problem for granted, and I will put the links to all of those previous reports in the show notes if you do need to catch up on the problem. But let's focus specifically on what we can do about this impending threat to your bodily autonomy. Wherever you are in the world, this World Health Organization process Both the pandemic agreement and the international health regulations are a direct threat to you, your bodily autonomy, your medical sovereignty, and who you are as a human being, ultimately, as we proceed further and further into the crazy dystopian nightmare scenario of whatever kind of crazy medical invasive technologies will be coming online in the coming years. And so, as I'm presuming we can all agree, this is a problem Which we desperately need a solution to. And luckily, for those who are not in the know on this particular issue, there are many, many different groups, individuals, organizations, and uh, groupings of concerned individuals who have come together on this particular problem and are already actively working on it. And I think. Today, we're going to concentrate on all sorts of different vectors and attack approaches against this looming threat to medical sovereignty. And uh, I think they broadly group into four main categories of action uh, that we'll be concentrating on today. One is petitions, which I'm sure people have come across, um, that will permit, in some cases, official actual parliamentary or congressional um, inquiry or debate on these matters. Uh, secondly, there is legislative action, which can be taken and is being taken already in a number of countries um, to either limit the, uh, the changes that any proposed pandemic agreement will make to various countries' uh, legislative processes, or to actually withdraw from the WHO altogether. Um, there is legal action, that can be taken and is being taken by some groups in certain countries. And I will also be looking at the idea of anti-political action, which I will define further as we get further into today's episode. But I want to start by just enumerating some of these actions that are already being taken, just to give you a sense. There is already a lot of action going on in this front for those who are not keeping themselves informed of it. So I'll just point you in just a the direction of a few specifics, but these are really just a few specifics out of many, 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 many thousands of spontaneous, grassroots, uncoordinated actions that are taking place all around the world and that I couldn't possibly enumerate even in a thousand hours, let alone in a short D program like this one. For example, on the petition front, um, people may or may not know there have already been two Petitions to Canadian Parliament, one of which has been submitted to Canadian Parliament with nearly 20,000 signatures, and the second one, which just finished collecting signatures earlier this month and I don't believe has been presented to Parliament yet. Um, there was a petition in the UK that re- achieved over 100,000 signatures and which was presented to the petitions committee, but I believe rejected by that petitions committee for debate in UK Parliament. Uh, there's a US petition at uh, stop uh, sorry standforhealthfreedom.com, and again, I'll link those specific petitions in the show notes if you're interested in following them further. However, having said that, there is actually um, many, many, many more such um, actions that are taking place at the moment. Um, uh, with regards to legislative action and legislative potential. Again, there are many, many different politicians in many different countries that are actively taking uh, an a- an active approach to confronting this WHO agenda. And I enumerated se- uh, several of them um, taking place all around the world in my December 2023 conversation on CHDTV entitled The Global WHO Uprising Has Begun. And so you can see that conversation for many many examples of what's going on around the world including the new zealand government for example has reserved against the international health regulation amendments that were passed last year um which was uh, something of a minor miracle considering um so many people don't even know what's going on but the new zealand government actually reserved against those amendments um i linked for example a letter to uh the dutch parliament um that uh, was lodging complaints about the WHO process, a uh, a South African bill to withdraw from the WHO that was submitted last year. Um, but hey, that was ancient news. That was two months ago. What's been happening since then, James? Well, for example, if you haven't been keeping track, um, Representative Chris Smith from New Jersey um, held a press conference earlier this month um, talking about the growing concerns over the WHO pandemic treaty and Leg- possible legislative action in the United States to, at the very least, require a Senate vote on any treaty that comes along. And, uh, for example, there was a recently a presentation to the Irish Parliament at Leinster House um, that was delivered by MEP Christine Anders- Anderson, Senator Sharon Kilgan, uh, Dr. Meryl Nass, MP Andrew Bridgen, etc. Um, so that took place, uh, I believe, earlier this month or at the end of last month. It's hard to keep track. Um, With regards to legal action, as I say, there's things that are already going on, whether or not you are uh, familiar with them. For example, the People's Lawyers have a crowd justice campaign that is currently ongoing called UK Reject and Exit the WHO. And for people who don't know, the People's Lawyers was a group that was started in May 2020 to start legal action against the UK government regarding unlawful COVID restrictions and statutory amendments. Uh, sorry, instruments that were being used to take freedoms away from British citizens. And uh, that um, group has been active in the UK since that point. And now they are currently starting a uh, a campaign to reject and ultimately to exit the World Health Organization um, in the UK specifically. Um, so I will include the crowdjustice.com link to that organization. I'll include a write-up on that organization from uh, Dr. lauries Substack. Good news, the UK's membership of the WHO seems to be unlawful and legal action is pending. That's just one example of legal action. And as I say, there's also anti-political action, or at least what I'm going to call anti-political action that is taking place that I will highlight in due course. But I just want to throw all of that on the table up front to say there are a lot of things happening right now. We don't have to wait for someone to come along and start doing something. It is already happening, whether you're aware of it or not. And these are just a few of the threads that one could follow to find actions and things that are happening in your own backyard on this very front. So, having said that, uh, let's start getting into the specifics. Now, I don't want to make this a one-hour James Corbett soliloquy because I'm sure we can all agree this problem is much, much too big for any individual. This is going to require lots and lots of people coming together from lots of different perspectives with lots of different ideas. So, with that in mind and in that spirit, today I wanted to call on the ideas and support and and pick the brains of some of the most active activists that I know on this reject the WHO um, bandwagon um, to get their ideas about what is going on, how we proceed forward from here, where things are going. So one of the first people I turn to, of course, as, as I've mentioned a couple of times, um, my CHDTV co-host on our regular monthly series um, looking at the WHO and the development of this pandemic agreement, Dr. Meryl Nass, who, as people may or may not know, is a spark plug, a dynamo of activity and information on this front. Not only is she personally um, directing efforts and, and active uh, being active and going around the world talking about this. But she has also started an organization called Door to Freedom at doortofreedom.org, which is a compendium of information on this subject. If you need to get caught up on what the problem is or any of the specifics about the agreement or any of the working texts that they're looking at or any of that, it's all there at doortofreedom.org along with many explainer articles and videos, links to activist organizations and things that are happening around the world. So I would humbly suggest that door2freedom.org might be a good place for you to get caught up to speed, not only on the problem, but also on the solutions. But in that vein, I recently had the chance to catch up with Dr. Meryl Nass, who has just returned from another trip to wherever she jetted off to, talking to whoever and what parliament and where has she been presenting. She is always up to something with regards to this um, ongoing WHO agenda and her efforts to uh, corral the opposition against it. So I wanted to catch up with where she is and what is happening right now on this front and things that she thinks are important as we go forward against this WHO agenda. As I say, I can barely keep up with you. And last I heard you were in Ireland talking to Leinster House, but I'm sure that was a whole week or two ago. So tell us where you've been going, who you've been talking to.
1: Uh, Well, the last trip to Europe, um, I went with a a group of other people. Uh, The group changed from country to country, but we were in, I was in England, Ireland, and Norway. And I was in the parliament buildings of uh, Ireland and England, which were arranged by minority parliamentarians who were very concerned about the WHO. And then in Norway, we weren't invited into the parliament, but we had uh, events in a hotel next door to the parliament.
0: So there are people in in parliaments uh, in various countries that are concerned about this. And as you say, they tend to be the minority parliament members. But at least there are people who are paying attention to this issue. Um, Tell people about your sense of where this is politically right now.
1: Okay, so. Because the WHO created two documents that are chock full of bad things that really nobody wants if you read them, um, the only way they can push them through is by nobody understanding them. And so they've done the best job that they could to make them incomprehensible by creating two documents with different rules for each one, different everything, but overlapping and then making six or seven versions of the treaty. so that every time you turn around, it's different. And so virtually nobody can get them straight and nobody has the time to read them because they keep coming out with new versions. And so anyway, with all of that, there has been very, very little media coverage of what's actually in these documents. And um, that's how the WHO wants it because that is the only way they will be passed. What we have to understand is that most Western countries have are being run by globalist stooges. And that and they so most western countries have already bought into these documents. Their staff are definitely going to support them. And it's only a question of giving the underdeveloped or developing world enough benefits somehow to get them coming along. Or Fixing the vote. So, for example, they don't necessarily have the votes that, consti- that the WHO Constitution requires they have. And when they do have the votes, they have some funny ways that, where they can fiddle them. For example, um, what the Constitution says is that they can have um, secret ballots. In- instead of pressing the button at their desk, they can have a secret paper ballot, but that the ballot will be carried into another room to be counted. after after they vote. So um, they also apparently, even though they're supposed to have votes of the entire membership of the WHO, 194 countries, they actually have so-called consensus procedures in subcommittees, and then the WHO members never actually vote on some of these things. So by using all these different strategies, they think they can get these documents through. And my um, approach is simply to help shed light on them. And that's why I've been gallivanting around and having Zoom meetings also with people around the world, including members of parliament and doctors and lawyers. Now it, it's important to actually look at the legal basis for the WHO and for these documents. The WHO was created in 1948, and there is no way in its constitution for nations to get out of the WHO once you're in. Now there are other treaties that that say that nations can in fact leave a treaty when they don't like what's going on. But the WHO was set up to make it difficult. Um, In addition, everybody who works for the WHO has diplomatic immunity. So you can't really take them to court. There's no court to take them to. And you can't take the WHO itself to court. There's nothing in its documents that tells you how to, or in this new treaty and amendments that we've been able to see, that gives you a method to say, wait a minute, the WHO is not meeting its obligations, it's not following its constitution, whatever. Individuals can't do that. The only way you might be able to get something done against the WHO is if uh, a majority of nations actually got together and said we're not we're not putting up with this, and it, it's very hard. You know how do you manage to get a majority of 194 nations to do anything together? Obviously, I don't have the means to do that, and and nobody else really does. Maybe George Soros. Um, so, how do you manage to fight against? Um, a sort of bullet train that's moving forward to pass a treaty and um, and these amendments to the international health regulations. And the answer is, you make a stink. You, get, you, you force parliamentarians to be confronted. So you get their constituents to confront them. Right now, the WHO lies about what's in the documents, lies about the process, you know, lies about why this all happened. And constituents need to show them hey here's the document this is what it says they're getting rid of our human rights you know why is that you claim that there is no loss of sovereignty but here it says the WHO can tell countries what laws they have to pass isn't that a loss of sovereignty and so anyway sovereignty is a big issue in the United States um And so we have a number of Congress members who are concerned about loss of sovereignty, even though the federal government keeps telling them there is no loss. You know, everything's fine. This is just we're just going to handle pandemics better. Um, So anyway, what I've done is I, I created an organization, found an organization called Door to Freedom, which put up all the WHO documents so people could find them easily, wrote commentaries about them. Uh, created video, created handouts, created two-minute reads, which is a lot of articles over 30 that you can read in two minutes to understand what's going on at the WHO with these documents and what's going on with other aspects of the Great Reset. And we tried to make them very factual, you know, fact-based, tried not to put our own spin on them. Um, In the U.S., we are... Starting a we have started a campaign to get the attorney generals, or the governors, and/or the governors, to say, "Look, we actually have authority for health care at the state level, not at the federal level in the U.S." It's in, in the Constitution. It says that anything, any any um, authority not handed over to the federal government within the Constitution um reverts to the states. And so healthcare is not mentioned in the Constitution. It's a state authority. And the governors or the attorney generals or the legislators can say, look, we are not turning over this uh, authority for health to the Biden administration to, to, to then turn over to the WHO, but actually it's rested in the state and we're keeping it here. Thank you very much. And we think that that is a good strategy, particularly because twice in the last five weeks, um, a majority of attorney generals have gotten together and uh, said they're not going to go along with the federal government as far as the Texas border crisis, on the one hand, and they're not going along with the formation of natural asset corporations, which cannot, which they said would, would not be allowed in their states. And so the New York Stock Exchange pulled back and retracted its um request to uh, begin trading a new asset class these natural asset corporations so anyway having had the ags do this twice very recently we're going to see if we can um what's that word in soccer when you do it three times yeah a hat trick hat trick so we're gonna go for a hat trick and you know it's it's it seems crazy it seems way beyond our means but i think uh, i think we may just do it
0: well, what other choice do we have, I guess? And you raise so many important points there. The the deliberate obfuscation and confusion on the part of the WHO to muddy the process so people don't even know what's happening. Um, the fact that all of these Western democracies are controlled by a globalist clique that certainly has their bread buttered on the side of giving this sovereignty over to the WHO. That really does raise the question of what's really the point then of going to and talking to parliament and and things like this. Uh, we know that they're going to rubber stamp. The Western countries are going to rubber stamp, whatever is put in, on the plate in me. And I guess that raises the question, is there a political solution to this? Fundamentally, is this going to be about the political side of it?
1: So so what's happened in Europe is that there's been a, a groundswell of support for populist, what which are called right-wing parties. And uh, so in Romania... A party that supports us on the WHO got 23 percent of the vote in the last election and they have an election coming up. And um, in Germany, the AfD party has become so popular with over 20 percent, I think, um, support that the government has tried to ban them. So we feel that, um, you know, the farmer protests have been an example of this, you know. People are starting to realize that the globalists have gone too far. They are too audacious, you know, too. They think they can take over the world and they can do it fast and we won't know what's happening. And guess what? People are waking up. So um, I think the these are issues. What we need to do is make them election issues. There are a lot of elections in Europe this spring. So they need to be election issues there. Bobby Kennedy just came out with a video yesterday um, saying, you know, we need to fight against these who the who pandemic treaty. And so he's making it an election issue. Trump made it an issue saying, you know, exit the who and supposedly tried to get us out of the who before. I think um, what people, citizens need to do is to everything they do, everything they can to make it an election issue in their jurisdiction, wherever they are, at the city level, state level, country level, whatever. Citizens need to challenge their lawmakers on what is in the documents. They have to put it up in front of them and say, why are you giving away human rights, dignity, and freedom of persons? Why was that crossed out in Article 3? Why does article two say that you can ignore human rights when it's necessary? When is it necessary? Um, another thing you say is, oh, who gives you the right to surveil my social media presence and um, censor me? You know, what is this baloney about misinformation and disinformation? There's something called free speech and most constitutions Guarantee freedom of speech. And yet these documents, both of them, demand that nations uh, in the United States, you're going against the Fourth Amendment when you perform the surveillance of people's um, Internet presence. And then you're going against the First Amendment when you censor them. So people need to say, look, these documents are unconstitutional. How how can you possibly support them? You've, you know, members of Congress have sworn an oath to defend the Constitution and here you're trashing it. Hello. And, you know, we we just make these points over and over and people will not be, you know, the people running for office won't be allowed to um, bypass it.
0: Once again, that was Meryl Nass of doortofreedom.org, and once again, I will put the link to -to doortofreedom.org in the show notes. If you have not yet checked it out, I suggest you do. It is, as I say, a compendium of many, many resources and links to further information on this subject. If you are interested in following the ins and outs of this developing WHO takeover, you will find a lot of information and a lot of links to other organizations and resources from Door2Freedom.org, But of course, Meryl Nass and Door to Freedom are not the only ones in this space that are actively fighting against the WHO agenda. So I also reached out to someone else that I think will, I trust he will be very familiar to people who are familiar with the WHO takeover agenda. I'm referring to James Roguski of jamesroguski.substack.com. As I say, if you've been following the WHO takeover, you have undoubtedly encountered James Roguski's work on this subject. Um, in the past, he has been spearheading the effort against the WHO takeover for a number of years now, and so you will find a ton of resources at his substack, including very specific posts, such as one called Screw the Who, that you can access directly at Screw the Who, so that's screwthewho.com, um, which is a compendium of videos, short 90-second TikTokable short compendium videos of information about the WHO takeover and what people, why it's a threat and what people can do about it, um, which was James Roguski's idea to put the call out there. And he has posted up dozens of videos from people all around the world heeding that call with 90 second videos that are guaranteed to reach out to the fluoride addled TikTok watching masses um, on this very subject. So if you're looking for a good way to introduce people to this, Have a look at screwthewho.com, find one of those videos that you think is particularly effective, and simply start spreading that information. That might be one way that you can involve yourself in what is going on right now. But if you want much, much more information, much more detailed information on specifically the groups that are acting in this space, what they're doing, the types of petitions and other things that are ongoing, another great resource is exitthewho.org, exitthewho.org, which again like everything else, will be linked in the show notes if you need the link. Um, And there you will find not only facts about what is happening, the pandemic agreement, the IHR amendments, etc., and links to the relevant documents, you will also find many links to identify and connect with various groups that, as I say, already exist and are already functioning all around the world on this very subject, from Australia to Brazil to Canada to the Czech Republic, Denmark, Ecuador, Finland, Hungary, India, Israel, Netherlands, New Zealand, Portugal, South Africa, Sweden, Switzerland, Trinidad and Tobago, United Kingdom, uh, United States of America. Um, there are dozens of links to various organizations that are already active and working in this space, so if you ha- don't know what's in your area, that might be a good place to start, as well as links to social networking and discussion groups on this, and ideas for taking action on your own, or more importantly, in in cooperation with others who are already working on this subject. So, I had the chance recently to talk to James Roguski about this subject and to record some of his thoughts on this matter. And after discussing a little bit about those communities and how you can go about finding like-minded people in your area, a subject that I have covered at great length and underlined and, for example, that I talked about explicitly in How Not to Build Community, the recent edition of Solutions Watch, which, of course, for people who haven't seen it yet, does cover more explicitly and more to the point how to build community. But my How Not to Build Community episode might be a good place to start if you really are trying to look at the basic brass tack fundamentals of how to go about finding and meeting and organizing like-minded people on an important subject. But once you have done that, what do you do with this group that you have created, with the like-minded, active fellow uh, people at the bottom of the power pyramid, people like like you and people like me and people like uh, others who have no particular political power, what do we actually do about this? So I put that question to James Roguski. Once you have assembled your group of like-minded activists, what can you actually do about this? Petitions, legislative action, legal action, what kind of things can the average person involve themselves in to help put the brakes on this WHO takeover agenda?
2: Well, you know, you you mentioned a number of things, and it does center on what the the group's interest is um in the last week um you know i was involved in a uh, meeting with a staff member from a u.s senator who had put forth legislation to exit the who and and the call it was a group call with a number of people we reached out and and we said how can we help you so one of the easiest ways of starting one of the pieces if you want to get into a little bit of granular detail. Um, In the United States, maybe we're a little bit ahead in the sense that we have managed to get some of our elected representatives to craft, submit, and support. hasn't passed, but support legislation, number one, to exit the WHO, to get really granular. That's House Resolution 79. We've got 50 or so members of Congress who are supporting that. So if there's some type of legislation that you support and it's in the process because it's already been submitted, take the easy path at the beginning to sort of cut your teeth and contact the offices of the um, public representatives who are already in support of it and say, hey, thank you so very much. Finally, somebody who's doing something that I support, how can I help you? Now, if you think about it, put yourself in the position of being a staff member from a congressional office who's probably accustomed to getting nothing but complaints. Well, they're busy supporting a legislation piece of legislation that you support, and you call them up out of the blue and go, "Hey, you guys are doing a great job. You're supporting this thing that I'm behind. How do I help you?" And you'll probably be greeted with, you know, oh, Okay, because they probably aren't accustomed to that. Now, if you've got a group of five people and you call them on one day and the next person calls them, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, at some point, they're going to scratch their head and they're going to go, hey, people are actually supporting this and we don't know how to tell them to help us because they're probably not accustomed to that. Now, once you've gotten that ally on board with you, then you can do a multitude of things. Now, short of that, you mentioned the petition. To, to step it back a little bit, um, we've worked with people in Australia, New Zealand, uh, United Kingdom, Canada. In Canada, they got 90,000 signatures. In the UK, they just went over 100,000. In Australia, there was 50,000 and so forth and so on. In those nations, they have a petition system that is official. It's a government website petition, you know, where people who sign it, something is supposed to happen. As an example, in Canada, they only need 500 signatures to have the petition read before Parliament. We got 90,000. Okay, now that shows that there is support for it. But more importantly, we identified that there are 90,000 people who are in support of that. And that's just the smidge because you know we're certain that not everybody in Canada knew. So I caution people: there are petitions and then there are petitions. Okay? In the United States, even though we have the First Amendment, the unalienable right to petition our government for a redress of grievances, there is no system to petition Congress. And so there are a lot of um, corporate groups. Um, change.org is one that comes to mind. I'm not an advocate of that because these groups take names and they make it so that whoever is doing that um, can get what appears to be support. But whatever happens to that petition, that's just a bunch of names in a database. And so you have to be careful with petitions. The people behind them may be totally good-hearted, and have your cause, you know, deep inside their heart, or they just may be grifting off of that idea. Here in the U.S., I refer to them as astroturf. They're kind of fake grassroots, and and so um, I feel that petitions that are, you know, official government petitions that result in a, a parliamentary debate or um, at least being read into um, parliament or some such thing are really a way of identifying more allies. You circulate the petition to find out who is on your side, and you build the team of people who are organizing that effort. You may have to do it again and again and again, but every time you do it, you find out who's with you and who isn't with you, and you let the politicians know that there's a lot of
0: you who are
2: thinking the same way.
0: Once again, that is James Roguski at jamesroguski.substack.com. But let me once again, particularly commend to your attention, exitthewho.org, which has a lot of information and a lot of links to specific groups that already exist, as well as specific actions that those groups can be taking, and examples of that from literally around the world. Um, once again, it is important to stress that the resistance to the WHO takeover is already underway and is already underway everywhere around the world, um, whether or not you were aware of it. So it might be behoove yourself to at least find out what other people are doing around the world. And if you are in support of that, join on. And if you want to do it your own way, do it your own way. But at least be aware of what is already happening on this matter. And exitthewho.org is one excellent way of keeping abreast of the many, many different um, threads and uh, activities and groups that are already out there on the table Having said all of that, before I get into my own personal thoughts on this matter and what will and will not be effective in really stopping this WHO takeover, let me put another idea out on the table. I mentioned not only petitions, not only legislative action, not only legal action, but I also alluded to the idea of anti-political action in the beginning of today's episode, and I want to elaborate on that. Specifically, when I'm talking about anti-political action, I am thinking along the lines of nullification, now, nullification should probably not be a new idea to longtime corporate reporters who will remember, at the very least, that I talked to 10thamendmentcenter.com director uh, Michael Bolden last year about nullification here on the Solutions Watch D program. If you missed that conversation, I highly suggest you go back and check it out because I think it's relevant to a number of the problems that we're facing on the political front, but also here with regards to the WHO and what it presumes to do in taking over More and more authority over the public health space in many, many different countries, including, of course, the United States, where the 10th Amendment Center operates. The 10th Amendment Center, as you'll know from my conversation with Michael Bolden, obviously named after the 10th Amendment of the Bill of Rights, which, of course, states that after uh, anything that isn't specifically apportioned to the federal government in the Constitution is claimed for the states or the individual. And um, the Federal government has no authority over it. Well, presumably that would also include healthcare, wouldn't it? And yes, if you're thinking along those lines, well, you won't be surprised to find out that the 10th Amendment Center is thinking along those lines as well. So you will also remember nullification from my many, many previous conversations with Michael Meharry, who is also of the 10th Amendment Center, and I've talked to him many times about various nullification issues. I also talked to him on Solutions Watch last year about thwarting facial recognition. So you can explore the Corporate Report archives from my previous conversations with Michael Meharry. But he was recently on a program called Shot Callers uh, that is put, put on by Texans for Vaccine Choice. And they were recently talking to him about this WHO agenda and what can be done about it, and the possibility that nullification can be brought into this context, at least very specifically in the United States.
3: So what are the main tactics from within the Tenth Amendment Center's ballywick that could potentially preserve texans liberty like so let's again assuming that the the who thing it goes into effect in other words how could texans resist the vaccine mandates from the who or their mask mandates their lockdowns that you know these requirements that the feds will then turn around and tell us that we as texans have to do right And, and and so this is exactly in our wheelhouse because again we thankfully, live in a legal environment where the federal government and by extension the who, and and basically that's what the who thing does, right? It makes this unaccountable, unelected, international body of whoever, (laughs) it basically gives them government control. It makes them an extension of the federal government again, horrible, but horrible, idea. Like, horrible idea, like, like, you, it's like, it's weird to me, because if you put it almost in any other context, people will be like, no, why would we do that? But all the, but when it comes to healthcare, which really, when you get down to it, you know, how you decide to take care of your own body is one of the most fundamental aspects of being a an independent human being that exists right i mean that's that's like fundamental what do i put in my Shouldn't body what do i controversial. not? controversial yeah <laughs> it's 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 crazy so if you put this you know if you said that you're going to have an international body regulate cell phones i guarantee you most people would be like oh, that's a horrible idea and yet we're going to do that with healthcare? care ridiculous i'm I, and that's not answering the question i Got a little tangent there. That one was for free to our listeners. (laughs) Right. But so so going back to this, you basically create a situation, you're creating a situation with the who thing where the who becomes an extension of the federal government. So you've got the federal government dictating and and mandating based on these decisions by these international people over here. And then they're telling the states you have to do this. And again, we go back to the anti-commandeering doctrine, the state's Don't have to do it. The states do not have to lift a finger or spend a penny to enforce anything that comes down from the federal government or by extension from some other international body. So from a specific standpoint, the Texas legislature could pass a law that basically says the state of Texas And all of its political subdivisions and all of its employees are prohibited from enforcing any vaccine mandate that comes from the federal government or the WHO. The language could be almost as simple as that. Now, you know, obviously you want to make sure your legal eyes are dotted and your T's are crossed, but that's the essence of it. It would make it a crime in the state of Texas for Texas officials to enforce the mandate's or whatever else you know they decide that they're going to try to to enforce. So that would leave the federal government in a position where if it wants to enforce this vaccine mandate, it would have to somehow come up with the personnel and the resources to do it. And they they don't have it. They simply don't have it. And a lot of times people say, "No, I think we overestimate the power of the federal government sometimes." it would take like the entire DEA budget just to shut down all of the marijuana businesses in the city of Los Angeles. They can't do it. In the same way, they can't enforce federal gun control with just the ATF. And and there is no enforcement mechanism to enforce a vaccine mandate. It, it doesn't exist. So what are they going to do? They're not going to do anything because they're depending on the state and local governments to fall in line. So if Texas prohibited it, I guarantee you that it would be highly unlikely that there would be any meaningful enforcement of a vaccine mandate in the state if the state wasn't enforcing it. And the more states that do this, the more difficult it becomes for the federal government to to assert its control.
0: That's Michael Meharry of the 10th Amendment Center at 10thamendmentcenter.com making the case specifically in the U.S. context for nullification. Uh, basically taking that power and a presumed authority away from this international organization, let alone the federal government there in the United States, and placing it back at a more local level. And that, of course, is being presented specifically in the American context, in the context of the Tenth Amendment, the Bill of Rights, etc. But it is, I think, more broadly speaking, a uh, what I call an anti-political strategy that is certainly... An option on the table in any given political locale. I think it is something that people need to be advocating for. I know it applies, for example, in Canada, where healthcare is at least presumably, supposedly a provincial uh, matter. Um, however, of course, as in every other form of government, there's always the levers of power and pressure that can be applied by the federal government to make provinces or states or prefectures, etc., um, beholden to the federal government. So there's always that tension that's going on in, well, every polity around the world that I am aware of. And it's something that certainly people in grassroots local activist campaigns could be pressing on. Of course, now, you know where I'm going to go with this and you know where you probably, if you are familiar with the corporate report, you will know where I stand, uh, on this issue, more broadly speaking, and the types of solutions that are being put on the table today. Um, I have held my breath long enough. Now I will expound a little bit on my own position. As you know, I am a voluntarist, so I do not believe that any government, any outside third party authority wearing whatever crown or cap or badge, wearing whatever title vindicated and authenticated through whatever magical process of putting names in a hat and casting votes or spells or whatever it is, has any authority over my bodily autonomy. I am an uh, individual, sovereign human being, and no one can tell me what I can and cannot do with my own body in the context of, it, at the very least, my own body not affecting other people's bodies. That is the bottom line. That is the line in the sand that cannot be abrogated and that I will never forfeit to any presumed political authority. So, as usual... I am not stopping anyone from taking any action that they think will be effective. That is, as you know by now, the overriding theme of Solutions Watch. Hey guys, here's a bunch of buttons, and I think these buttons probably won't do much, but if you want to hit those buttons, hit them. Do it. Go out there. Hit every button you can. Do whatever you think will be effective. Use your time, talent, energy, resources, and efforts in whatever way you think will be most effective. And Godspeed, I hope... You are effective in what you do, and I hope that I'm completely wrong and that the political solution really is the solution. So I'm not telling anyone not to do anything. Quite the contrary. I'm telling you to do anything and everything you think will be effective and go out there and prove me wrong. Um, Similarly, legislative actions, petitions even legal action, I am highly skeptical and dubious that that will be a fundamental solution to the fundamental problem that we are taking of the abrogation of bodily autonomy. But hey, we're living in a real world that's not as wonderful as the philosophical ideals that we may hold. And I recognize that there are practicalities about the world that we are living in right now, where we do not have all the time in the world to be chit-chatting and jaw-owning and dreaming of ideal situations. We are living in a real reality where people have lost their jobs and their livelihoods over the past few years because they refuse to take this or that medical intervention, etc. So I, I get that people are dealing with the real world in all its messiness. And I, again, that's why I'm not discouraging anyone from pushing on any lever they think is going to be effective. Go for it. Do it. Get out there. Start acting. That's the only thing that I really a- ask. Um, Again, having said that, I, I tend to think that the fundamental solution to this fundamental problem that the World Health Organization, let alone any other presumed authority, can come along and presume to dictate what you can and cannot do with your body, I think that is really the fundamental problem. So I would say that the real stop, the ending of the WHO takeover, will not and cannot come As long as the WHO continues to function, as long as you are a are under the jurisdiction of the World Health Organization by having had the misfortune of being born into one of the nations that happens to be a member of the World Health Organization, which, let me check, is, uh, yeah, just about every single nation on the planet. So, yes, you are in the World Health Organization, like it or not, because you were born in this geographical area, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) No, I think we have to fundamentally undermine that entire assumption, and certainly the WHO part of this agenda, of the takeover of your body, will not stop until nations start withdrawing from the WHO. And why stop there? Why not just withdraw from the UN altogether? Because, of course, the next layer of control would be the United Nations, of which the World Health Organization is just one agency. So you'd have to withdraw from the UN as well. And then you'd have to start thinking about withdrawing, withdrawing from other intergovernmental, international bodies, the World Trade Organization and what have you. And then you would start to think, well, OK, but why am I placing all this power in the hands of the people in Tokyo or Ottawa or Washington, D.C.? or Whatever national capital presumes to rule over however many tens or hundreds of millions of people spread across however many thousands of kilometers. Ridiculous. Nonsense. Why are we giving those politicians, who are of course in bed and largely beholden to the same World Health Organization slash Davos slash Bilderberg interests, why would we give them the power to do what the World Health Organization is going to do anyway? As has been pointed out, and I think quite rightly by people who are opposed to this w h o agenda or at least the spirit the spirit of that agenda well it 's not like the w h o needed their pandemic treaty or their Health regulation amendments, etc., to do what they did over the past few years. So, really, this is just icing on their cake. What does it? What difference does it even make? Well, I think it does make certain legal differences, and I think there would be a, an appreciable change if we move forward with these instruments. But the point stands. Yes, uh, uh, at any rate. The countries that want to go along with this agenda and actively are part of it are themselves the problem, really, uh, or at least part of that problem and it's not the World Health Organization itself is as the only and sole evil here. So I think yes, withdraw from the WHO and the UN and the WTO and every other single international intergovernmental regional organization that presumes to rule over vast regions of the world. Um, but then also we need to start thinking about withdrawing political power and control away from the national level down to the local level. And then, hey, why stop there? Why not bring it back down to the individual? Again, that is the long-term philosophical underpinnings of the vision that I have for the future of free humanity. And I recognize there are practicalities along the way, but I think that is the only fundamental solution to this problem. Having said that, again, that's the big long-term vision, but we don't have oodles of time to be talking about that long-term vision. We have a very, very, very short, tight deadline. Um, As you may or may not know, the next World Health Assembly is due to take place in May in Geneva, and we still don't know. They're not going to tell us precisely what documents there are going to be on the table in May. In fact, they're not. They're still negotiating them, so we can't even know. Even... (laughs) even if they were going to let us know. But they're not going to let us know. They're going to spring whatever they're going to spring on the world at the World Health Assembly in May. And you better believe they're going to try, at any rate, to rubber stamp whatever passes across their desk. So here's the real question then. In this tight timeline of what, where we're goose-stepping towards in the, in the coming months, what is our ability to... What, what can we do about this? What if the very, very likely possibility that they do rubber stamp whatever it is they're going to rubber stamp in May. What what do we do then? Well, this is one of the questions that I put to Meryl Nass, and she had this to say about what we do in that event.
1: Now, what if we fail? Okay, so what if one or both of these documents gets um, passed in May? It's very likely to happen. Well, we can make um, a lot of noise about that because it will probably occur using a process that is not um, kosher, according to the constitution of the WHO and the IHR. And we also have um, 10 months to reject or reserve against the International Health Regulations. So... um, Ten months means it will end in March of 2025, and we, whoever the president is at that point has will have the right to get us out of the international health regulations. Um, let's say both of them are passed and, and Biden or somebody like Biden is the president next year. Then the issue is people have to say, well, look, you tried to put a legal noose around our necks. Okay, you did it. You know, your globalist flunkies who are managing all these countries got together and they did it. They created a legal mechanism by which you can force us to take. It says on paper that you can force us to take vaccines, that we have to have digital IDs, you know, that there will be no liability for these unlicensed vaccines we have to take. And you've created a mechanism for creating pandemics all the time. Well, guess what? The people are not happy with that. We don't like a bunch of globalist flunkies trying to pull the wool over our eyes the way they did with the COVID pandemic. And people have to stand up as the farmers have been doing and say, that's it, we're done. You know, if there's a few of you, It's a, you're like a thousand to one or a million to one. There's 7 billion people on the planet. You're a few thousand and you don't get to make the rules here. And it, you know, I don't know how that would go down, but I don't think a lot of people are going to line up to get injected with substances that have never been licensed, that have never been tested or have been tested in a very cursory manner, a fake manner, you know, a a charade manner, like what was done with the COVID vaccines. I don't think people are going to go for that again anywhere. And, um, Does the other side have the police power to impose this? They have to rely on nations using their own police, their own armies. Are are the policemen of the United States and the army of the United States going to force people to be injected with unlicensed products? I don't think so, because they weren't too happy that they were forced last time to do it. So I think that whichever way this goes down, it's going to be a colossal failure in the end. But... It would be nice to be able to beat it off right now, you know, beat off the legal instruments so we don't have to fight about it in the streets.
0: Once again, that is Meryl Nass of door And I guess the question now becomes, can it be done? Can we stop this agenda? Can we derail the WHO takeover? Well, obviously, I do think that, or else I wouldn't be here talking to you about this. I would be off... Partying it up and enjoying my last months of freedom before we are inevitably consigned to the new global biosecurity dictatorship. I do believe not only that this can be derailed, but that it will be, that the tyranny will fall, as every tyranny eventually does, at the very least collapsing under its own weight. However, having said that, as Merrill points out, collapse may not be a comfortable thing for many people. It may result in a lot of people getting hurt and so it is better if we can avert this before it gets to the point where the collapse will be a very messy and bloody affair all right so i think i think it is in our interests to be actively working to spread awareness and information about this because as i have pointed out before for example in my monthly conversations on chd tv i think this is so self evidently not something that the average person wants. Who is out there desirous of this unaccountable body that they know nothing about halfway around the world making decisions about their own body and their medical autonomy? No one, once it is brought down to that level and explained to them in simple terms, is going to be, yay, wonderful, except, of course, for the psychopaths who desire to rule over others. But those psychopaths are a tiny, tiny, tiny sliver of a fraction of a minority of the public, and we can and will bring down that tyranny if it is imposed upon us. Having said that, again, it is better to, to stop it in its tracks now before it gets to the point where it can do genuine damage to humanity, as arguably it has already done over the past few years and the medical interventions that have already been inflicted on billions of people around the globe. So... As I am sure you are in agreement with if you've made it this far in the in the episode, uh, this is an incredibly important problem to solve, and there are many, many people out there that are already working on this, and I hope I have at least cast uh, shed some light on certain groups and certain organizations and certain places you can go for more information. But the bottom line of this, and the most important point, is that I hope people are Active and engaged and out there on this issue. I think it is an incredibly important one for the future of free humanity. So, if you are out there and you are working on this, I salute you. And more importantly, I want to call on the Corporate Report members out there that are engaged and active on this issue in any way, either individually or in groups, or if you support some group that is working on this, I want to hear about those efforts. What are you involved with? What have you done? What has worked? What has not worked? What are you doing from here? I want that feedback specifically. So if you are a Corbett Report member, you are encouraged as always to come to CorbettReport.com, log in to the website and leave your comments in the thoughts for this edition of Solutions Watch at CorbettReport.com slash SolutionsWatch dash stop the who. And if you go there and leave what it is that you are doing, what you're involved with, what groups you're supporting, and specifically what people in the Corporate Report audience can do to support your efforts. I would be very interested to hear about that, as I'm sure the other Corporate Report members would as well. And... In the spirit of Solutions Watch, as you know, I do not want you to pay back your gratitude for this information or for this podcast. I want you to pay it forward and to help create and foster those people who are working on this issue in the real world. So for today's pay it forward, I would encourage you to pay forward your gratitude for this episode to any of the groups or individuals who are out there working on this issue, if if DoorToFreedom.org, if James Roguski, if any of these people or organizations are useful for you, I would suggest that you support their work and their efforts. And perhaps the best way to support, of course, monetary support is always appreciated, but perhaps one of the best ways to support people who are working on this issue specifically is to help spread the information itself. I know, personally, I very much appreciate that, and I am sure that the other people and activists working on this issue would appreciate it too. So if there is any specific information, if you found that 90-second video that perfectly encapsulates this problem and, and why people should be energized about it, and you think it's a good call to action and you want to motivate other people, then take that video and send it out to the four winds, and make sure people see it and do your part in helping to spread the information. And hey, if that 90-second video or whatever it is that you're looking for, the explainer, doesn't exist yet that you've seen, create it yourself. Get it out there. Let other people in the corporate report community know about it, and we will also help support that work. That's what this is about. And as I say, I think we are going to win this, It's just a question of whether we win this now before it grows into the global biosecurity regime and the the technocratic tyranny of the future, or if we wait until it has already become a behemoth. Having said all of that, I want to leave today's edition of Solutions Watch and every edition of Solutions Watch, hopefully, on a positive note about our power and what we can do about this problem. So I'm going to leave the final words today to the inspirational words that James Roguski left um, at the end of my conversation with him about what is going on, why this is destined to fail, the, the WHO takeover is destined to fail, and our power, the part that we play in all of this. So on that note, I am James Corbett of CorporateReport.com. Thanking you for joining me for this edition of Solutions Watch, and I'm looking forward to talking to you again in the near future.
2: Getting into some of the, the gory details, um, you know, I, on Friday, um, whenever this shows, you know, it'll be dated. But uh, a couple of days ago, they had a meeting in Geneva, which was both groups combined on uh, Friday, the 23rd of February. And since they were meeting in Geneva, it was midnight for me. So, you know, I got a cat nap and I woke up at midnight and for four hours um, from midnight till 4 a.m., I'm watching them arguing At this point in time, it's so astonishing. They're either so um, incompetent on purpose or it's just pathetic. I'm not really sure which because, you know, the whole idea of, of how they might really be operating is open to question. They're still trying to figure out whether certain topics should be in this agreement or that agreement. Now, you know, any logical, reasonable person would have said, Well, maybe you should have thought of that at the beginning. So they are such a mess right now. They don't know whether they want certain issues, the biggest of which being the money. So all anybody really has to do with with any of these things is just ask a really simple question. What's this going to cost us? And show us how that is going to be allocated. Really, what we're dealing with. Is you know a transfer of wealth under the guise of, oh, we're working to try to you know protect your health. They're still having great difficulties. They want to push the money off into the future. And you know, that's usually at the root of almost any problem. And so there are multiple questions. One of the things that I've been trying to encourage people to do, whatever aspect of any issue you learned about if you can find their word. Now this is one of the beautiful things with the WHO. They pump out word salad on a continuous basis. And all I've been doing for two years is reading what they say, highlighting pieces of it that I think are absurd and and saying, hey everybody, have you seen this? And and so um, back in September of 2022 um, I put the call out for people to make a little ninety-second video, and I'm doing it again, and I, it's like fundamental. Almost anybody can do it. There's TikTok videos, you know, all over the place for everything. Take any little snippet of any issue that you might be passionate about, and start off by either taking a screenshot or a photograph or print it out on a piece of paper, you know, and and just take that piece of paper and hold it up to the screen so that people can read what they are doing. And so if you take any aspect of the treaty or the amendment, take a little paragraph or a sentence or an article or whatever it might be, and say, you know, this thing right here, this, these set of words that they're doing, here's what I think about it. That's, that's your First Amendment right. You don't have the right to use someone else's printing press. You know, freedom of the press means You can go buy a press and start printing your own newspaper, right? Back in the day, well, you can take your phone and record your own opinion and be the media. And so you don't have to have, you know, a platform like, you know, maybe James has worked for decades to build a platform. You have the platform that you you spread it out to, but you've got to have the content. And so if you copy their information, and express your, um, you know, analysis of it and your opinion about it. You can do that in a two-minute video. Put it on TikTok, you know, Twitter, Telegram, Instagram, whatever. And maybe your take on any aspect of this catches fire, goes viral, and you could be involved in informing millions of people about something that they were completely unaware of and be one of the people who start, you know, a little fire that catches into a big bonfire. But if you just sit on your butt and you don't look at the information and you don't know what's going on and you don't do your own little video or audio or whatever it may be. Back in in about a year ago in China, people were holding up blank pieces of paper to signify that they were being sent. Well, things are tough. In China, and they certainly were at that time. Um, we still have the right to put words on paper and express our opinion about them. So, what are y'all waiting for? Um, I've got hundreds of videos. They're all up on screwthewho.com of people who said whatever it was they wanted to say. And that was from a year ago. Got a whole nother batch coming. And, you know, put yours into the hopper. Um, get out your camera, get out your phone, or however you may videotape yourself, and have the courage to have an informed opinion. And you may be a piece of the puzzle, you know, the, the tapestry of humanity um, that comes together, gets woven together um, to push back uh, against whatever it may be that you are opposed to. Or, you know, conversely, in support of
0: I will be linking people to screwthewho.com, which leads to a post on your substack, .substack jamesrogusky.substack.com, specifically called Screw the Who. And also there's a a post you had up last April on Exit the Who. Um, There are a lot of, there's there's a ton of information that people can get just from posts like that that are directing them to other information and resources. But are there any specific resources or places you'd like to direct people?
2: Well, you know, as we record this, I'm rehabilitating um, the ExitTheWho.org that you mentioned. It's, It's live and people can certainly see it. And one of the main things that I feel trying to practice what I preach is there are people all over the world who are aware of this. And, you know, one of the simplest things to do is to start a little social media group and invite people to that group, start that conversation. This isn't something that's going to be controlled from a top-down manner. If you want to take the action to start a little Facebook group or Telegram group or WhatsApp group or whatever other social media platform there might be out there, um, let me know. James, I know you, you probably know that I do this. I do it all the time. You can reach me. Anybody watching this can reach me at 310-619-3055. If you have the gut to take action, to start to organize a little group in your part of the world, then I'm absolutely going to help support you by including you in ExitTheWho.org, because it's it's about a distributed network of action. It's not something that's going to be top down where we're going to have the anti-Who organization doing battle with the WHO. What we need is more of the swarm of bees approach where, you know, each individual group of people who decide to do whatever creative thing it is they do will run circles around any large bureaucratic organization who has to have meetings and committees and, you know, get command down from the top. There's no way they can keep up with us. We are billions and they are a couple of thousands. We can be nimble and mobile and creative and quick, and they won't know what hit them. And all of this, you know, is obviously, you know, supremely, you know, with peace and love in everybody's heart, looking for a better future. Um, they're they're a house of cards, ready to tip over. They're so top heavy. We just need to pull out a couple of their cards, expose some of the truth that they're trying to hide, and they will will collapse and we have to be ready for that collapse and many people need to be working towards whatever better future we all want but it's got to be a future that we want not the future that you know a couple of people the proverbial they want Um. and, and you know it, it it's so simple that it, it boggles the mind but collectively work obviously more powerful. And as I think you mentioned over the last four years, they've done everything they can to keep us separated from each other. Well, you know, everything goes in cycles and we may have all been separated and social distance. But you know, the the pushback on that is we all come back together. We don't need everybody and we're never gonna get everybody. But if enough of us come together and have a, a focused um you know, in the future that we want to achieve, you know, I, I have every vision that they are not going to get their way because their way is, is not even close to optimal. And we can and we must make a better future for ourselves. I plan on living a long time. So I'm doing this because, you know, this is the world I'm going to be living in unless somebody's got, you know, a, a spaceship ready to take me to some other planet B. Um, you know, there really isn't at this point another option. We have to make it this world a better place. It's up to us, and we're the ones who are going to have to live in it. So, you know, it gets me going every day, and um, anybody who wants to um, put that effort in as well, you know, reach out, and let's get together and get connected and um, keep the faith, because that's the starting point. You have to believe that it is possible, and I'm 100% sure that it is.